Welcome to the Open House Podcast. Conversations exploring life, faith and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. Well, Catholic theologian Dr. Michael Trainer from the Australian Catholic University in Adelaide has a long interfaith involvement with the Jewish community, both here in Australia and also overseas. He's an executive board member of the International Council of Christians and Jews and the co-chair of the South Australian Council of Christians and Jews. Like so many right-thinking people around the world, he was shocked and appalled by last week's attack, uh, which killed 11 at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. He says the history of anti-Semitism goes a long way back, and it is a conversation that I think we need to have, and Michael is the right uh, sort of guy to have it with. Michael Trainer, welcome back to Open House. Thank you, Stephen. It's nice to be back. <laughs> yes, indeed, but not a pleasant subject. Michael, how did you view the events in Pittsburgh? Uh, look, I think, well, tragically, mm. um, tragically, the 11 people were killed by a gunman who walked into a religious setting on the day when these people met on the Shabbat, on the Saturday, mm. and completely invaded not only their space, but their lives. Mm. So it's tragic. Uh, it's a theme that's not unusual in the United States with regard to what happens to Jewish people. There's a rise in anti-Semitism in all corners of the world, uh, which is uh, tragic. And what's happened in in Pittsburgh is kind of a represents the epitome of this anti-Semitism. It it is interesting, isn't it? And for very appropriate reasons, I think the world puts anti-Semitism into a very special category of hate crime. It is. Uh, and for us as Christians, of course, it's important for us to name it because of our... I mean, our heritage as Christians is, of course, Jewish. The yes. first... Jesus was Jewish. The first followers of Jesus were Jewish. Um, but as time went on, gradual anti-Semitic flavours developed within the Christian movement that is unfortunate and we we need to keep identifying this historically as well. As time moves out of the first century or the first generation of Jesus followers who are Jewish, there comes a point where there's a slow separation between, you could call it the synagogue and the church, this happens in the third century. And it's accompanied at the same time by what we would call, or has been called, deicide, which is the killing of God. So there would be some, there were some, uh, who are Christians, named themselves Christians, and we know this also from writings we have in the 3rd and 4th centuries, that, quote-unquote, the Jews were responsible for Christ, who was God. So um, we can't walk away from that. That is a truth that we have to tell. That that has been part of the story of the engagement between uh, Jews and Christians, and um, it, it's horrible. We, but as it I is. say, you can't walk away from it. But we do uh, need I to think, learn from it, don't we, Mark? Stephen, absolutely. I think we need to keep remembering this. And you see, the other thing I'm aware of as I teach New Testament yeah. is. This actually gets fed into um, into the scriptures. So, the Pharisees, for example, uh, are seen to be the hypocrites, and they are criticised by the gospel writers. What the reader doesn't realise 
is that these texts were written two to three generations after the events that they are reflecting on at a time when uh, the, the leaders of the Jesus movement were in tension with the leaders of the rabbinic movement that had established itself after the debacle of the 70s when the temple was destroyed. So in this tension of claiming authority and uh, um, independence, mm-hmm. the, the Jesus movement leaders looked upon those that enabled Judaism to survive beyond the temple destruction, namely the Pharisees, saw them as evil. And that gets written into the text. And, of course, if we take the text literally as kind of closed-circuit television of the life of Jesus, then people today would think, well, the Pharisees are bad people. But in fact, historically, Jesus was very close to the Pharisaic movement, which was a movement of renewal. Anyway, all this is to say that this kind of anti-Semitic, anti-Pharisaic tendency that is incorporated into the Gospels becomes therefore factual, and then uh, the religious imagination draws on this and begins to portray the Jews... um, as evil, crying out for the death of Jesus. For example, as in John's Gospel. I mean, it's a, it's a very, this is a very nuanced discussion. Well, we're yes, but in defence, I feel well. Here we are. Let's let's defend the Gospel, because it is Paul, the early church, and they're they're saying they don't, and Peter, they don't want to do anything that would cause a brother to stumble over things like eating laws. This is they're trying to work it out. What is it? We've we've now got a new revelation that's come through Christ and we're trying to work it out. We're not trying to denounce. We're actually trying to work with people because our yes, the Jesus followers were Jews and they were non Jews and then the gospel spreads to um to other parts of the world and it's the Greeks and so on and the Romans and, and it becomes a global movement. So And that's all built on the idea that God made us all in his image, that we all fall short of his glory, that Christ died for everybody. This is just, If you think about that, surely, Michael, then there's no room for hatred in, in, in that. Oh, Stephen, I, I would, of course, of course, I'd agree with that. I don't think I'll just preach to you. I'm sorry, brother. <laughs> That's okay. We're having a conversation here about this. I guess what I'm trying to come back to, though, Stephen, is the way that um, the scriptural, the biblical texts, mm. which I, you know, like yourself, I believe the Bible is true and reveals to us God and God's revelation in Jesus. To me, that's unalterable. What I'm very aware of is that these texts were written at a time, I'm thinking, say, say for example, the Gospel of, of John. Mm-hmm. In the story of Jesus' death, who cries out for the death of Jesus yep. but, quote-unquote, the Jews? Well, it's the crowd, it's the mob, it's the... Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I understand that. However, the tr- our, our usual translations mm. from the Greek to the English, mm. translating ho yudaoi, translates that as the Jews. Mm. Now, if you're looking at these texts thinking that this is a, an accurate, historical, uh, closed-circuit television of what actually happened on the day of Jesus' death, then you would naturally come to this thought that the Jews were responsible for the death of Jesus. 
What I'm su- suggesting is we need to be a little more nuanced in the way we understand the development of the Gospels yes. and seeing that these these stories were written in a latter period when there was tension with the Jewish community. And so those that are writing these texts uh, have that kind of bias spill over perhaps unwittingly into the text itself. Mm. So, so I... I, I uh, I suppose I'm suggesting we need to be careful in the way we oh even we read, read yes things. read it with the eyes of history and the history of That's that time. Right. I, I I agree with you. Michael Trainor is our guest, and um, he's amongst other things. We spoke with Michael on the program um, a few weeks ago. It, it seems like to me it may have been ages. Michael is a lecturer in New Testament uh, theology, but also in this context is. Um, with the Australian Council of Christians and Jews and the International Council of Christians and Jews. Now, the objectives of that is to be a dialogue, uh, I gather, between believers from the different faiths. How active is the Council of Christians and Jews? The International um, Council of Christians and Jews is an umbrella body for around over 60 to 70 local groups internationally meeting. So the International Council is the umbrella body that seeks to encourage open dialogue between Jews and Christians. Mm. So um, this is a very important theme in a world where the tendency is to move away from dialogue and create tension without encouraging open conversation about the issues that we face. Yes. And how will that community now come to terms with Pittsburgh? Oh, Stephen, I think it's um, that's a that's a great question. I, I think we need to be aware that once all the mourning and grieving is over, or that community in Pittsburgh has moved on or continues to move on through its grief, there are a number of issues that we still need to address namely um, the anti-Semitism that we talked about earlier, the, the reference that comes across so often where violence seems to be the only way of dealing with difference. And in a culture of violence, which is not only in, in, in the United States and in Australia, perhaps in Australia less so, mm. but it is uh, one of the tactics that people who are quite quite adamant in their point of view, want to have their point of view spread, namely through violent tactics. Now, I don't know what was behind the person that killed those 11 people uh, in Pittsburgh, but the culture of violence and this inability to talk about things of difference is the, is the groundswell that's created what we've seen in Pittsburgh quite tragically. I was invited here in Adelaide to go to the synagogue on Sunday evening and I was there with other Christians and with uh, another, with a Muslim mm-hmm. as each of us offered our own prayerful mm-hmm. reflection uh, and uh, our statement about the importance of working towards a world of peace. Mm. One of the best things I've ever done uh, or been involved with was when with... Uh, colleagues from, and I was with the Christian school movement, with colleagues from the Islamic school movement and the Jewish school movement. 
Together we organised a symposium where we spoke about our common interests in ensuring that uh, people of faith were able to secure a a school place for their kids in the manner of that faith. Very important. And it was the dialogue was fantastic. So I'm with you. (laughs) I know what you mean. Yeah, and Stephen, in our previous conversation that we had, I think what we both expressed was this is now an age where we don't uh, position ourselves over and against the other person, the other co-religionist or the other faith tradition. Hmm. What you've just expressed to me is the heart of this, namely, what is it that we have in common? What is the common belief we have in our God? And how does that move us into a... Well, friendship, really, in a world where uh, religious conversation gets confused and does not assist uh, the regularity of people's lives. Yes, can you believe that just so soon after we've thrashed it all out, we now actually have to now stand and defend the right of schools to choose staff of the same religion? Can you believe that? Well, it's... it's (laughs) (laughs) it's um well it's telling us that we're in a we're in a culture now where we need to uh, be authentic in our religious practice and our and one of the things that and I've mentioned this in our last conversation Stephen that one of the things that we are dealing with in the Catholic Church of course is the aftermath of the sexual abuse crises so it's calling us to be a church that is authentic uh, both in word and in deed. Yeah. And um, that's going to cause a whole renewal within us in the Catholic Church in Australia yeah. and worldwide. Yeah. So that's the issue I think we're facing because I think for us as a church, and I'm talking specifically about the Catholic Church, in a way we've lost our moral voice. It's been muffled by uh, the tragedies that have surrounded our leadership in the last uh, well, decades, really. Yes, and that's one thing that we can't lose. Michael, it's always enjoyable to speak with you. Thank you so much for being part of our conversation tonight. Stephen, thank you as well. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, Reverend Dr. Michael Trainer from the Australian Catholic University and um, a member of those interfaith groups, the Council of Christians and Jews, both here in Australia and also um, internationally. We shouldn't forget. We can't forget. We mustn't forget. If you've been to Yad Vashem... Uh, in uh, Jerusalem, you'll know that we mustn't forget ever. You're an open house around Australia. I just got this text. This is beautiful. As a Jewish listener, I just wanted to say thank you for your last conversation about anti-Semitism in the Scriptures. I've unfortunately experienced a lot of anti-Semitic comments from Christians who've interpreted the Scriptures in such a way. Now, this we were discussing earlier um, this idea about deicide in the Scriptures that arose in the early church. That was the Jews who killed Jesus, and this is a truth that we have to confront, that um, that, that may indeed and has led to anti- anti-Semitism. This texter says, I think it's important to encourage people uh, not to interpret the scriptures with such a fixed mindset. We certainly, yeah, what you don't do is to take that historical account of what happened in the first century and turn that into uh, a hateful ideology that leads you to do precisely the opposite of what Christ would do. Christ, who was Jewish. Uh, Thank you for that text. Discover more Open House podcasts at openhousecommunity.com.au.